Well, I know uh, you have probably heard that song before, uh, probably sung along with it, maybe even seen the movie. Uh, This movie, A Star is Born, this song uh, took the world by storm uh, really a a few years ago. I think it was last year. It has like a gazillion downloads on Spotify and iTunes. uh, And it really did capture everybody's heart because there was something about it that resonated with us. And that's what music does, right? Music kind of gets into our soul. Music gets deep inside of us. And, and, And as we're launching into this series, that's kind of what we're exploring or why is some, why is a song so powerful? Why can it catch our attention? What can it say to our soul, to the innermost part of our being, right? And so this song is, is one that did that, just captured the world, right? Now, why is it? And, and I want to focus in on some of the lyrics really from the kind of second verse there. Well, uh, where it says, tell me something, boy, aren't you tired trying to fill that void or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? And, and really what I want to focus in this not tonight uh, is on this lyric that says, aren't you tired trying to fill that void? filling that void in our hearts, in our lives, right? That's what we do. We fill that void. Uh, we, we, we examine ourselves, we feel a sense of emptiness, and then we go out and search for something to fill it, right? We've all done that. And we've all become exhausted trying to do it at some point in time, right? Uh, we try to fill that void, that emptiness that we feel, uh, you name it, and somebody has tried to fill it with that, right? We fill it with money. We fill it with relationships. We fill it uh, with uh, entertainment, right? right? Uh, We fill it with drugs. Uh, We fill it with silence. We fill it with all types of things, right? Uh, And and at the end of the day, if we're honest with ourselves, whatever we try to fill that void with, we get this sense uh, that we're just worse off at the end. Uh, And and the reality is we we oftentimes try and fill this void with God, with religion. And according to uh, French philosopher and scientist Blaise Pascal, that's what we should fill it with, right? Uh, Maybe you've heard it said there's a God-shaped hole in your heart. Well, that comes from a statement that was written by a French philosopher where he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, that has then taken on a life of its own, this idea that there's a God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And so what happens and what has happened because of this is that we've turned God into a product, right? We now sell a God product, right? Just like you would sell uh, the latest vacuum cleaner, the latest television, the latest gadget to fill the void in your life. Well, now God can fill that void in your life. And when we think of this and we say, oh, you've got a God-shaped hole in your heart and nothing's gonna satisfy you, only God. So here, take God, what we've done is we've turned the gospel into a product to sell and we've made religion a late night infomercial, right? Where you can just set it and forget it, right? And this is what has happened because we've bought into this idea that there's some sort of a void, some sort of a hole in your life, in your heart, and you're trying to fill it. Now, here's the problem. Lots of people have bought the God product. Lots of people stayed up late at night, couldn't sleep, restless. They saw the infomercial and now they're in. They bought the God product, right? If your marriage is falling apart, if your finances aren't where you want them to be, all you've got to do is invite God into your heart and your life and God will take care of everything. And then all of a sudden, a year later, six months later, you find yourself still broke. You find yourself uh, still with a marriage in shambles. You find yourself with broken relationships. And now we say, well, the God product is defective. I want a refund. I want out, right? 
And we're left with still with this void. And there's truth. Some of us that have been stuck around in faith and religion, like we still try to fill that void with God. We fill it with going to church. We fill it with being involved volunteering, right? We fill it with everything. But there still is a sense, a longing of distance and brokenness. And that is because here's the problem, right? There is no God-shaped hole in your heart. There is no void. There is no... uh, space that needs to be filled. We only think that. It's what we would call a creation out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo is how we talk about this idea of creation from uh, absolutely nothing, that God is the source behind creation and God created the world through nothing, right? There was nothing in existence, right? Well, this idea of of a hole, a void, a gap, a space, a distance in your life that can only be filled by God is actually a creation from nothing. It's like that monster that sits in the darkness, right? It's that monster that is created by the darkness. Has your mind ever played a trick on you, right? Have you ever been in your house in the dark, watching a movie or whatever, you hear something, you see something and you're sure there's something there. There is absolutely something there and you know it for sure. And you get kind of freaked out and you believe it, it's there and it's dark and you can't really see, but you, sh- you swore you saw something move, right? You start freaking out. I know I've, I've woke up in the middle of the night at times and I'm confident there's something in the room or there's something really close. And I actually start swinging my arms around, right? fighting something off. And and all of a sudden I realized I turned the light on and there's what? There's nothing there. There's nothing there. My mind has created it. Well, I'd like to talk tonight about this void that we try to fill that leaves us empty and leaves us longing. And I wanted to talk tonight about the lie that is this void, that this void really is just like that monster that is created by the darkness. It doesn't actually exist. And I think that wisdom, there can be some wisdom found in scripture on this, this big lie that we've kind of held onto. And we've even developed theologies around this lie of separation, this lie that somehow God is out of me and I need God to fill me and I need God to come and and take that space up, right? In John uh, chapter eight, verse 31 through 44, Jesus has a very interesting exchange. Now, if you're new, to uh, scripture, if you're new to Bible study or church or the broadcast, I'm glad you're here and thank you. There's no, uh, no, no prerequisite to coming. You don't have to know anything about scripture, the Bible. Uh, if, if the Bible kind of freaks you out, maybe you come from a tradition or you've been in a space, you had a bad experience with somebody that weaponized the Bible to control you or get you to do what they wanted you to do or manipulate you. Uh, that's not who we are here at Crossroads. We're a space that sees the Bible as a wonderful inspired book that shows us and reveals to us the wisdom of God, the love of God, uh, and and calls us into a life of wisdom. And so we seek wisdom in it, right? And so we're gonna look at uh, John, which is one of the gospels, tells the story of Jesus. It's in the second part of the scriptures. We call it the New Testament. And uh, John really gives us an interesting perspective on the life of Jesus. Uh, It's actually kind of a a very strange book at times. Some of the language that's used, lots of metaphors, lots of imagery. And in John chapter eight, verse 31, we pick up and Jesus is having a conversation with some people who were Jewish, right? Jesus was Jewish and they actually believed in him, it says. It says this, that to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. In other words, if you really wanna be my disciple, right, a student of mine, one that would carry on the message, you have to uh, hold to and live out this teachings, like let it get inside of you. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, this really confused uh, the Jewish people that were listening. And they said, well, wait a second. 
We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? See, Jesus knew a deep truth. He knew a deep truth that every person uh, is a slave, but every person uh, is bound up by a lie. And this is the language that he uses. Jesus replies, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, I just wanna encourage you to hit the pause button if you've been around church for a while. Uh, When you see this word sin and you immediately go to the moral do's and don'ts, the white lies that you told. I, I want us to kind of erase that from our head because sin is a much bigger concept. Right? Sin is something that destroys us. Sin is something that destroys God's image in the world. Sin wounds is the wounding of one another. It's the wounding of ourselves. It's much deeper than uh, the, the little things that we think we do morally, that we think displease God, that make God angry at us because we're disobedient. Sin is a much bigger concept. It's separation, right? And there's a lie of separation that Jesus has come and he's trying to show them you're living under this lie of separation this sin, right? And so he says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus is saying, listen, you're a slave to sin, but there's one who isn't a slave to sin. There's one who isn't under the lie. And this one is a permanent member of the household of God. And this one can set you free from that lie. And that's what Jesus is offering. Jesus is offering freedom from a lie that has continually produced wounds and wounding in our world from the beginning of time. Since human beings walked on this planet, there is a lie that has persisted and has continued to keep humanity slaves. And it continues to keep us in this cycle of violence where we wound ourselves and we wound one another, right? And part of that lie is that void as we're gonna see. And so Jesus goes on and he says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, which is what they had said. He says, yeah, you're not acting like it. You're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. You have no room for my way, for my teaching that I'm asking you to hold to this truth. He says, I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. I'm telling you the truth. And yet uh, you're not listening to me. You're doing what you've heard from your father, not from, from my father. So now Jesus is like, is showing them, listen, you actually have a different father than mine. I've been in the father's presence and you're following your own father. And they said, well, Abraham is our father. You know, and, and Jesus says, well, wait a second. If you were Abraham's children, then you, then you, would, children, then you would do what Abraham did. And what did Abraham do? Live faithfully before God, humbly before God, had faith, right? Wasn't concerned with, uh, he really didn't live under the law. Law hadn't been given yet. He would live by faith, uh, scripture teaches. He was humble, obedient. He heard the voice of God and acted and embraced it and welcomed it. He says, but you, you're looking for a way to kill me, to reject what the father is saying. A man who's told you the truth, right? You're living under a lie. I'm trying to tell you the truth about the father, about this God. Uh, And Abraham didn't do those things. And so you're doing the works of your own father, not my father, right? Now, what Jesus is doing here, and he's gonna get pretty harsh in a second. Jesus is using the, the word father as a metaphor for that one who governs our actions, right? So the actions of these folks that Jesus are talking to are being governed by a lie, right? A totally different father. Jesus's actions, his teaching, his life are being governed by truth, right? God. And so this word father really is in, in a patriarchal society is representative of one who had absolute power and authority 
and, and whom, uh, and out of which flowed life, right? Our, their existence, right? The father determined the way and the life of the rest of the family. They governed it. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this father that you listen to is not my father. You have someone who's governing your actions and it's a lie. Now the people don't like what Jesus is saying and they start to, well, we're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. And now Jesus says, okay, now we're to the real issue. You actually think you're serving God. You think that you're following and honoring God, but you're not. Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me for I've come here from God. I haven't come on my own. God sent me. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say because you're living under a lie. He actually says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a strong statement to people who actually believed in him, right? Jesus was saying, you're living under a lie. You don't recognize it, but your father is actually the enemy of truth, the father of lies. It says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And get a hold of this statement, and the father of lies the source of lies, the originator of lies. He's the owner of lies. He wants lies out there in this world that confuse and confound and create wounds and wounding. And so I think what we need to do if we wanna heed Jesus's words to make sure that we're not living under the lie, the father says, let's go back to the beginning to understand the original governing lie. The original governing lie that we follow, we fall into the trap of is found way back in the Bible in Genesis chapter three, uh, which is part of the creation story. And I love this story. It's so wonderful. It gives so much meaning and understanding to life. Uh, remember the Bible is not a science book. There's no reason to think that you have to believe in a literal seven days creation to understand the truth of this story or even believe that snakes ever talked. It's not important. Some people do, some people don't. But in this story is meaning. In this story is an understanding and an explanation of ourselves, right? And so in Genesis chapter three, we pick up this story of a human, uh, her and uh, her husband. They're living in a garden. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. God has said, eat of all the trees, just stay away from one, right? And, and so all of a sudden we find these original lies, right? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, the story goes. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in any of the garden, right? So this is a question and it's beginning, right? Here's the deception, right? The deception is, can God be trusted? Is this what he really said? Do you understand fully the nature of God? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from uh, any of the trees in the garden, but God did say, don't eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Don't touch it or you'll die, right? Yeah, God said this one, this one here, not good for humans, has another purpose, not good for you. If you eat it, it'll be problematic. You will die. Right? That's what's going to happen. Now, here's where the lie comes in. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. Hmm. He says, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did you catch the original lie there? Right? He says, if you eat it, you're not going to die. God can't be trusted. You don't even, God's not a part of this equation. God's actually uh, somewhere out there. You're not like God. God knows you'll become like God if you eat this tree. So that's what you, that's why, right? So, so you need to do this. That's the lie. And here's what it, the lie is, right? That's the original lie. There's a God-shaped hole in your heart, Eve. 
There's a God-shaped hole. There's a problem here and God knows it. You're not like God. You're not created in God's image, which is what we learned earlier in Genesis. Right, the original lie is what we've come to say all the time. Like, oh, there's a God-shaped hole in your life and you just need to fill it. And this will fill it. Being like God, the knowledge of good and evil, determining what's right and what's wrong, who's in and who's out. Having this knowledge that you think that you can do it on your own, that you are God instead of being like God basically is what it is, right? That God-shaped hole, that's the lie that's being perpetrated here. And so what is created in this moment is the original lie that then has been passed on from generation to generation to generation that somehow we are separated from God, that somehow we are not with God, that somehow we need to become like God. And so we fill and we fill and we feel like we're not complete. We're not whole. You're missing something. That's what the serpent is saying. You're missing something, Eve, and that fruit can fill it. And what does eating that fruit in the story lead to? It leads to shame. It leads to blame. It leads to violence against one another. It leads to this belief that we're separated outside of the garden. It, that's what happens in our lives, this big lie. And here's the thing, whether you believe in a literal, day, literal seven day creation or that serpents ever talked, whether you believe in the literal nature of this story or not, here's what I know. This story is true because eventually everyone eats. <laughs> eventually everyone listens to the lie that we're not complete, we're not whole, that God can't be trusted. We eat of the fruit eventually, every one of us. Every one of us finds ourselves not trusting what we know deep inside, that we are loved, that God does exist, that God is present. And so we eventually eat of that tree and we believe the lie of separation. We believe the lie that God is distant from us. And this is what, this, this is what the enemy of God does. This is what untruth is. It's this lie that now we're separated from God and you've just got to find it. And you're going to toil and you're going to labor and you're going to fill it with all different types of fruit, whatever that might be. But it's a lie. You are made in the image of God. You are whole. And here's how this lie manifests itself. There's a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And it's a strange book. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's kind of one of the biggest bummer books of the Bible. It's like, oh man, this guy is depressed big time, right? Uh, it's like, what is wrong with him? But, but this book, right? He's trying and searching for meaning in everything under the sun. And he gets everything. He gets wealth and he gets women and he gets power and he gets all the stuff. And he finds at the end of the day that it was all vanity of vanities, that it left him just as empty as before. Because at the end of the day, this is like fighting monsters that don't exist. Like the truth is we destroy our lives by trying to fill this void with all these things. And we're left feeling the same way because it's a lie that there is a void. It's a lie that we're separated from God. We're living under darkness. We're living under this cloud. And so what we do to our lives is basically it's dark, right? We feel that there's a monster in the room. And so what do we do? We just start swinging around. We pick up the closest baseball bat and we just start breaking everything because we think somebody's there. And at the end of the day, there's nobody there. It's just baked into our head. The darkness has tricked us. So I like to think of it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a child who is certain that there's a monster in the room. And in that certainty, this little child, she is scared to death. 
She's scared to death that the monster's gonna get her. And so she tucks every bit of her under the covers, pulls it up over her head and is crying and is scared. And she hears the creaking and the cracking and she knows that there is a monster in the darkness. It's in the closet, it's out there. She, she's the, she sees the shadow and she freaks out. And finally she's had enough and in fear, she screams out, she hollers out for her mom. She hollers out for her dad. They come running in the room and she's tucked under the covers and she's saying, there's a monster in here. There's a monster in here. And mom and dad are saying, there's no monster in here, trying to tell her the truth, trying to tell her there is no monster. No, it's in the closet. I know it's in the closet. No, it's not in here. And here's the truth of it. The only way, the only way to convince that child that there is no monster in the room is to turn on the light. To turn on the light. See, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So the only way for the darkness to go away is to turn on the light. And what Jesus does is he comes to show us the truth of the father, the love of the father, that that void that you are so tired of trying to fill that is actually producing more wounds in your life, which is, it can even be religion. It can be the pursuit of God to try and fill a void can actually push you further away from the truth that you are whole, you are complete. You've always been whole. You've always been complete. You've always been loved by God, that you are a child of God. And when that light shines in, it reveals the truth that God is always present with you, was always present with you, was always walking with you. Paul had this experience with truth. Paul had this experience with light. And it led him to write this in a letter to the Romans, Romans chapter eight, verse 37 through 39. Paul said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, if, if you don't know much about the life of Paul, uh, one thing you should know about him, that th this guy was a murderous son of a gun. Like he was going around murdering people who called themselves Christian. He was throwing them in jail. He stood by when the first person was martyred. I mean, you, you think that you have done some things in life, right? Paul had a list of the way in which he persecuted the body of Christ and the way in which he brought violence into this world. And this man experienced the light and the truth of God's love and he said, I am convinced having experienced that nothing can separate us from it, that nothing has ever separated us from it, not the past, not the future, nothing. And this love that nothing can separate us from is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is no void. God is always present. It's a scam. It's the greatest lie ever told that continues to produce violence and pain and wounding is that we're incomplete that we have to do certain things, we have to have certain things to be loved and accepted. And so how does this affect tomorrow? Well, here's the thing, I wanna encourage you to make a decision to stop trying to fill an imaginary void and deal with the reality of your wounds, right? And Jesus said, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, again, I would call sin in our language today, wound and woundedness. It's the wounds that we produce in others. It's the wounds that have been produced in us. And we could think of the idea and this language, the biblical language of forgiveness of sin as healing of the wounds, wholeness. 
that's, that's so, so, so there is a feeling, there is an understanding, but what we're talking about here is a wound. We're not talking about a void and emptiness, a separation from God, right? That, that, that if I put this in my life, I'm gonna feel whole. If I, if I just get the right job, if I just get the right amount of money, if I just get the right uh, spouse, then all of a sudden I'll feel whole. If I just go to church, if I just give the right amount of money, if I just turn my life over to God, then everything will be okay. Those are all lies. There always are gonna be trouble. There's always gonna be hardships because there's sin in this world. There's wounds that we need to deal with. And so I believe what we ought to think about is rather than trying to fill the void in our lives is let's deal with the sin. Let's deal with the wounds, right? And so the Bible language of this is confess. Confess your sins one to another. Come before God, humble yourself. Say, I'm wounded, I've got pain, I've bought into the lie that God, you weren't there. I bought into the lie that I was incomplete. I didn't understand that I was your child. I didn't live into that. And we seek healing from that. And you know that forgiveness heals because you've experienced it. You know that. You know that there's so much power and, and that healing and forgiveness, they come hand in hand together with that wound. So I wanna encourage you, to have a shift spiritually in your life, to live in this truth that you are a child of God, that you're loved by God. You've always been loved by God, right? You always have borne the image of God. There is no empty void that has to be filled by God. God has already filled it, but there's this lie that we've lived under. And, that, and what you can do is you can now celebrate recovery from that lie that wounded you and wounds others. You can recover from that. You can find healing from that. And, and this recovery looks different for all of us. Sometimes uh, it's this miraculous moment where, man, we find healing and recovery and all of a sudden we feel like, man, we are an overcomer and we live in this different space. Sometimes for some of us, for most of us though, it's a lifelong struggle to live in recovery. It's a lifelong struggle to live in healing, to overcome those habits that have developed from the wounds in our lives to overcome the hurts that have been inflicted on us, to overcome the things that hang us up from the goodness and experiencing the goodness of God. And we have this wonderful ministry uh, called Celebrate Recovery, which is the opportunity to come and walk through some steps of spiritual healing, to understand what sin is enslaving us, to understand what wound has, has inflicted our lives to understand what have we tried to fill the imaginary void in our hearts and our lives with that has caused more pain. And I wanna encourage you that if you're struggling with a habit, if you're struggling with a, with a hurt and you just can't seem to get past it, this, you're always turning back to this way of life. And it's just this thing that you, you bring into your life that kind of medicates that you feel like kind of makes you whole, but then leaves you pain, leaves you just feeling a sense of woundedness. I would encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery and to help us understand a little bit more about it is my friend, Jimmy, who's been a part of Celebrate Recovery here for almost uh, 10 years, almost a decade. Check this out. So in, in being in Celebrate Recovery over eight and a half years, I, I've witnessed transformation in well over a hundred, maybe, maybe more than 200 people, their lives. And people come into Celebrate Recovery broken and searching. You feel like there's something missing in my life that there's a hole. But in fact, what you realize soon after is that 
that hole doesn't exist. That's something that you've created in your mind. And that God is bigger than any hole. That uh, through growing in relationships in our lives, and that's what Celebrate Recovery is all about is relationship. And what we learn in Celebrate Recovery is that there's a God that loves us more than we could possibly imagine. That there's a God who sees us and loves us and offers us grace and salvation. And when we realize that God loves us so much that he's willing without question to offer us grace, to offer us salvation, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And it's bigger than any hole. It's bigger than any problem, any hurt, habit, or hang up. It's just about that immense, glorious love that is God. So I walked into Celebrate Recovery, I walked into church here at Crossroads, feeling that I wasn't deserving of grace, that I was such a sinner, that I was, I, I would have even called myself evil for the way that I had acted towards other people, towards myself, uh, questioning, doubting, blaming God. But through Celebrate Recovery, I learned that God does love me and that even though I am a sinner, grace is there for me and that I, I have a God that is bigger than anything in my life that is bigger than all of my problems, all of my relationships. It's just, it's just a wonderful feeling to know that God is there all around me, all around us, and cares that much for little old me. So I wanna encourage you, if throughout this talk you've been thinking, man, I have, I have bought into the, the, this like void, this, this understanding. I bought that lie and I, I experienced a wound. And then I just tried to fill that wound with all kinds of things rather than dealing with it, right? Rather than actually owning it, rather than walking through it. And you say, man, and I'm still trying to deal with that wound and I just can't seem to get past it. I really wanna encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery. You, on your digital connect card, you can check a box there that just says, send me information. And the, the team of folks that work with Celebrate Recovery, this community, they'll reach out to you, give you all the information of how they're meeting right now during this season, right? So we can begin to celebrate it. Now, as we kind of close out all of these talks, I really like to finish with this big question of like, so what? Like, why is this important? How does this actually create wholeness? How does this actually bring transformation into the world, right? Because at the end of the day, I believe that the invitation God gives to all of us is to be a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God, right? And, and peace is not just simply silence or quietness, but it's wholeness. How are we creating wholeness? How does this work? Why is it important? Well, here's the thing. When we stop pitching Jesus as the solution, we'll start experiencing him as the savior. One thing I like to say is that Jesus is not a solution. He's a savior. He's not a solution to your marriage. Jesus is not a solution. Uh, uh, the gospel is not a solution to your finances. Jesus is not a solution to bad parenting. <laughs> Jesus is not a solution to poor health. Jesus is a savior and he saves us from a lie 
that destroys us. And he saves us from a lie that causes us to destroy one another. It's frightening what this lie has done and how it has brought violence and what we are capable of doing to one another, right? In the name of this lack that we feel. I want, I want more land. I want bigger borders. I want your stuff, right? And so when we stop selling Jesus like a God product, making promises that Jesus never said, never talked about, but when we actually experience Jesus, when we experience God, we can start experiencing him as the savior. That's the claim. The savior, not personal, but of the world, of all people, right? This, this wonderful reality that we can be saved from a lie that puts us into a perpetual cycle of violence that really flows out of trying to fill a void that doesn't exist. And we can live into the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing at all. And as we start to experience Jesus as savior, not a God product that can solve our problems in three easy steps, not a God product that'll you know, transform my marriage magically, right? But as savior, as one that opens our eyes to see, to see things in a holistic way, we'll discover that freedom, the freedom of being a child of God, not a slave to sin, a slave to that lie. So as we wrap up the broadcast, let me ask you this question. What is God inviting you into? What is God inviting you into? There's some next steps on the digital connect card I would encourage you to explore. But while we, while we listen to this next song that really speaks to the truth of who we are, right? Of, of the love that God has for us. Just ask, Lord, what are you inviting me into? Now you might say, well, I don't know how to talk to God. I, I haven't really have a relationship with God. Well, the good news is that's okay. <laughs> because God has always had a relationship with you. God has always been present. God has always been with you, walking and trying to give you eyes to see. And so as uh, we sit uh, in this song and we open our hearts, just ask God, what are you inviting me into today? You might be surprised what this wonderful, loving father has to say. Check this song out.
Wow. What an incredible message and just an awesome opportunity for us. I, I think one thing I took away from just the beginning of this and t- that I'll be thinking about all week is that the gospel is not some, some infomercial or some thing to sell or do. It's to, something to be a part of and to be a part of the family of, of God. And so I'm going to be thinking on that all week. That's right. And don't forget that there are three great next steps. You know, we offer a lot of great groups here at Crossroads and Celebrate Recovery is one of those. So if you want to get connected to Celebrate Recovery, make sure that you check the box on that connect card, you know, and um, try to memorize Romans 38, 37 through 39, which, you know, summarizes, you know, what can separate us from the love of God and absolutely nothing can. Mm. So try to memorize that verse this week. And maybe you are struggling and believing that you are a child of God and ask God to show you that truth this week. That's right. And I just ask that you would also remember to check out crossroadscolorado.com slash resources for all the fun things that we have going on, like the connect card that we just referred to uh, for the link to the giving uh, app, which you can do, you can see right here on the slide that we have, the, you can do it online through crossroadscolorado.com or through mobile, or if, if you come on Sunday, you can drop it off in the envelope that way as well. But you can check out all that as well as on that resource page. We also have the song lyrics from this week and, and message notes and other fun things for you to check out. You can see that again at crossroadscolorado.com slash resources. Next week, join us as we dig into another great song by one of my favorite bands. Again, <laughs> I love music, yeah. but it's the song Fix You by Coldplay. It's going to be a great week, great song. We hope to see you next week. But until then, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.